short uh so pay attention can you afford uh everyday conversation decision making breakdown point of views of course he say she say see how we play real life issues hit the replay debate in politics what sport you profit with today's world news food for thought so come get a plate pull up All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome y'all to another episode of the Day Late Dollar Short Podcast. As always, it's your host, Martin. I have my partner in crime here with me. Marlon, how are you doing today, sir? I'm feeling good, brother. How about you? You know, I'm enjoying a nice drink. It's a beautiful afternoon, you know, living a dream. And you're here with me today. Yes. Normally I, you do it on Zoom, but now you're here with me. I see your beautiful face. It's yeah, like, normally, so. normally uh, I'm six hours away in Shreveport, uh, but I'm here in person looking like your favorite gas station attendant at Brothers, so... That's how we're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not good. Well, uh, we are joined today by a uh, dear old friend of mine. She is a woman of many talents, author, journalist, host, author, uh, principal speaker, uh, host. I mean, you name it, she's done it. Um, news anchor from WLTV, Ms. Shiva Turk. Ma'am, welcome to the podcast. Hey! First off, I'm I'm coming into the podcast mad because nobody sent me alcohol in the mail. Okay, so we're gonna start there. I'm drinking. I mean, we did water. Buy the though. Does that count for anything? Plain old water. I do bonus points that you guys. There have you go. All right. I don't stay mad very long, so we're good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited. We we are definitely excited to uh, have you. Uh, matter of fact, a, a, a good friend of mine, Tears, raves about you. Yes, she she raves about you. Uh, we we I actually uh, had Thanksgiving with her family, so our families go back. So she was like, "Oh, she's great. She's amazing." Da da da. So, oh, well, give Taylor a hug for me. Thank you, Taylor. Tears of teapot. Tears of yeah. Like teapot. Yeah. Well, why you didn't say that? So I don't call a teapot. That's the radio. I know her personally. I know her family. <laughs> we have Thanksgiving. I know her kids. Teapot's one of my favorite people in life. Don't tell her hi. I'll text her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So she, I've been trying to think about this. When did we exactly meet? Like 07, 08? I can't remember when. Do you know by any chance? When time? did we graduate from high school? 07. <laughs> then, yeah, I guess it was like the end of high school. Oof, yo, yo, yeah, I'm trying to remember. We were, we, that's why it's like funny having a formal introduction from you because it's just like my old friend. Like, people are like, What are you doing today? I was like, Oh, I have this podcast with my old friend from like high school. Like, that's, you know, like when you know somebody in that time frame, it kind of freezes there. Yeah. Which is great because then life goes on, but you still have these like different segments of it. Absolutely. And then also, Tom Martin, too, that you and I went to a concert together back then, too. I don't know if you remember or not. It was day 26. Ah! <laughs> How could I forget that? And day 26 was so funny. Remember the like choreography and the dance yes. moves? And you were obsessed with it and would do the dance moves? I still am. I still yeah. am. Wait, that was so again. It's making the band on MTV that came out in 2007. Yeah, okay. It's a Q, Will, yep. Ryan, Rob. And, and we both like, watched the show and they randomly were coming to town and we were like, we're going. Absolutely. <laughs> Wow. I'm so glad you remember that. <laughs> I you just, yeah, no. Too remember that. That's what's up, though. Oh, I remember Elena. Good <laughs> times. Good times. I, I actually, you know what's funny? You know, so Danity Kane was the girl version of them. Right. And Dawn does, like, pop-ups now. She lives in New Orleans again. 
Right. And so I met her and fangirled out over her. And now we run into each other and stuff at events. And I'm always like, girl, you have no idea. Like you were our, my idol. Like I loved Janity Kane. And she's always like, oh, my parents watch you. And I'm like, no, 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 you're a celebrity. I love you. I love you. <laughs> the way you casually just talk to her. I mean, I just, she, but you made it to this level. I'm, I'm so proud of you. You're so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us about uh, your journey in becoming a news anchor, like from, you know, from high school to college and to, you know, how you became to who you are today. Okay. So it's a long story. I'll give you the short version and then you guys can ask me more questions from there. Sure. So yeah. um, I think, let me take it back all the way to when I knew you in high school. You know, I never thought I would be a news anchor. I really didn't. And even in the beginning of college, I didn't. I loved to write and I loved like English classes back then. But I also was very much thinking about a paycheck and I never thought, oh, like I could be a writer or or that the news was like a career option. I really didn't like watching the news, which people always surprised by. I remember my parents trying to get me to watch the news and I was like, nope, not interested. Like I was in the fiction writing. I was in the like Harry Potter and Goosebumps. Like the news, it really, it, it couldn't have interested me less. So then I go to college. I said I was gonna be pre-med, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I hated it. And so then I was like, you know what? I love writing. So I wanted to do creative writing. A friend was taking a journalism class. You know, you need so many credits. So I actually took the journalism class on accident because after I dropped the pre-med classes. So I end up in this journalism class. It's cool. I'm at NYU at the time. Then I run out of money for school and end up dropping out of school completely for a whole semester. So things were a mess. When I get back in school at the University of New Orleans, I'm thinking at that point that I'll be a newspaper writer. So again, I take a broadcast journalism class on accident and I meet Kim Bondi, who was an executive at CNN. She had worked for all these huge shows mm -hmm. and she was like, I see something in you. I think you should consider being in TV. And at the time I still was like, I don't really want to do that. Um, and when I first thought I wanted to do it, I thought I wanted to be a producer like my mentor Kim was because they wrote behind the scenes. There never was this interest in being like, a news anchor. So sometimes I still wake up and I'm really shocked. I like telling the story because I'm like, how did I get there? Right? Because this wasn't like a childhood dream that I fulfilled. So when she says newspapers are dying, like if you're going to work in this business, you need to do the TV version. I'm like, okay, cool. She introduces me to her friend Soledad O'Brien, um, who was on CNN at the time. Mm -hmm. I meet her, she was a guest speaker in my class and I end up interning at CNN with her. And by then, like I've got the TV bug. So when I was shadowing Kim, you know, when you're that young, you see somebody you're like, oh, I wanna do exactly what they do. So right. I wanted to be yeah. Kim. Then after I interned with Soledad, I was like, oh, actually I wanna be Soledad. <laughs> like, so <laughs> each new person I met and thought was cool, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be them. Right. So I was pretty sure by then that I wanted to try reporting and mainly because it was writing based, which I guess, and I still have to teach younger people that now, and sometimes people our age, older people, like you don't think of the news as writing when it's on TV, because A, some people don't know we use teleprompters and that we're reading most of what we're saying, unless you're in an interview and it's live and you're making up the questions. And, but all the stories, everything we do is writing. You write it, then you track it, or then it's written and then you read it to viewers. And so it was very much writing based. So I, I entered the business actually as a writer for the morning show that I anchor on now. So that is the short version of the journey. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and it, you know, when you're on TV, uh, I've watched SNL my entire life. I love it. It's hilarious. I miss Mad TV, but- I, I loved Mad TV. I think Mad TV was the best. I just- It was so funny. It. But a yeah. lot of those guys start out as writers. Mm -hmm. 
And that, I think that's kind of where everybody gets, you know, everybody gets their start. You, you got you to gotta be able to create to get to that point where you're in front of the camera. Very much so. And it just showed me that like being a good writer had so many different career options that I'd never thought of. Right. Um, I wish when I would have been great at English in high school, somebody would have pulled me as I all they ever told you was you could be an English teacher. Not that I was not interested, but I also didn't know if that was the right fit for me. And so it completely threw me off from what I people were like, follow your passion. Well, my passion was writing and you're telling me writing gets me to English teacher. So if I'm not interested in that, then I've lost sight of my passion. I pushed it aside. Right. So I wish someone would have been like, if you like writing, not only could you write novels, which is what I wanted to do, you could do screenwriting. You could be, uh, you know, a technical writer. You could, you, there's so many things you could do with writing. Yeah, you can do scripts for events, but I, I think very much so I was limited um, in my exposure to what I could have done with writing. Yeah, I know that's something, uh, I remember when I was coming out of high school, uh, I was like gifted and talented in art all the way through. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I always heard, you know, oh, you don't make no money as an artist. You're you not going to make any money. Yeah, they yeah. scare you with that. Exactly. So I remember one day, and this was probably maybe five, four or five years ago, I met somebody who kind of had the same path. And they ended up, they designed Halloween masks. Mm-hmm. I was like, if somebody wow. told me I could design Halloween masks and make a whole bunch of money doing it, right? I would have I would have been good. I would have been sold. You, you're like, that would have been it. No, that, no questions asked. I'd have did it my whole life. I'd still be doing it. But... Here we are. Here we are. There's so many things I wish. I don't know. I just guess I wish the education system was designed differently now that I'm older, you know? Yeah. I even went to um, Creole Creamy one time. I used to be obsessed with the ice cream shop and I met the flavor chemist there. And I was like, wow, who knew? You know, who thinks of science in that form when you're in school? So, yes. I I, I got a friend of mine. They they went to school for it. And uh, they're going to school to like make pet food. Yeah. That's what they want to do. That's cool, though. I would never think to make the pet food. Right. Like, I don't know what my dogs are eating. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Tell them make it less dry, because my dog's food is dry. Yeah. In your your story, you say, well, you didn't say it. I'm going to tell you for you that you didn't say that you promoted four times at WLTV. You went from associate producer to a food reporter, traffic reporter, not to anchor. Yeah. Tell me about your first experience of being in front of the camera. First experience being in front of the camera was as an intern. So that's the part people don't know. The first time people actually saw me on TV as a traffic reporter, I had been behind the scenes working for like a year pretending to be a reporter. And so people came and were very much like, even though they could see I was raw and young, they were like, wow, she's a natural. But I'm very much a believer in like preparation over anything that comes naturally. And so my first time on TV, Definitely was nervous, but I think I felt like prepared because I had prepared. So I interned at WDSU, which is obviously our competition station now, but I wanted to be a reporter. And so before class in college, I was an intern on their morning show. And so every morning I was out there with Rosa Flores, who's now a CNN correspondent. And in between her live shots, I pretended to do live shots, like incessantly. I don't. I think sometimes people take for granted how much you have to do behind the scenes before you're ready for the moment when people actually see right. you. So the first time on camera, I remember I practiced so much. They didn't tell me till after, but they were like, she gonna flop. <laughs> and can't nobody possibly prepare that much. They thought I was gonna get on there and freeze. I am obsessed with preparation and so, 
I literally, for hours a day before I did traffic reporting, I would make up traffic reports and I would stand at the traffic wall and make them record me and go back and watch it. And what's funny is when I go back and watch them, they're still pretty horrific. So I can't imagine what they would have been like. <laughs> if I would not have done anything, else, like you're so stiff. I'm, I was afraid to like turn. So my first time on camera was traffic reporter, which was crazy for anybody who knew me because, you know, I was terrible with directions, horrible. Like I couldn't direct you around the corner. My family was like, what, who gave you that job? But again, when it was offered to me, it paid better than the reporting job I was offered in Lafayette. I was going to leave and go to Lafayette, Louisiana. And um, I'm like, okay, I'm no fool. I'll take the money, but yeah. I do still want to work on what I want to do, which is do news stories. And so literally I got in the car and drove around the city to learn the streets. Cause you know, when you live here your whole life, you take for granted. Well, maybe y'all are better with directions. I took for granted what I could get anywhere. I couldn't tell you how to get right. there. Right. So like, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like you make a left I got there, in the, the right car. Yes. straight. Yeah. But yes. right there, yeah. When you're from here, you know the city. So you can you know the landmark. city. Yeah. I, I grew up out in the east. I grew out uptown. And I can tell you how to get around uptown in the east, and I'm not gonna know no streets. Like I know Louisiana and Claiborne. Right. And that's, that's, that's it. Napoleon. You're gonna take a right at the blue stove. Exactly. Then when you get down, you know, to that raggedy fence. When you get to the right. raggedy fence, you that went too far. Like that all kind of land. So it's like, ooh, I gotta get in the car and actually see like where streets intersect. Right. I gotta right. find the North Shore. I don't, maybe I had been to the North Shore. I found out it was North, yeah. so that was nobody, good. Nobody, nobody go to the North Shore. Nobody yeah. goes to the North Shore. I was like, ooh, so they it's actually North of us. Like, you know, New Orleans. We, the, our New Orleans is this big. And so right. when you do traffic, well, now I do have to cover the North Shore and I have to cover Slidell and Mandeville and Luling and all these places mm -hmm. that I had heard of, but were literally mythical because, you right. know, we don't go nowhere. We don't, we don't work. I mean, you got everything no. in the city. Why you need to go there? We have everything in the city. What am I going over there for? So yeah, it was definitely a lot of preparation, but first day on TV, I can honestly say I felt prepared from hard work. Yeah, that's, I, you know, I think, just watching you and, and watching other news anchors like yourself, we see, you know, the hair, the outfits, being on there, mm -hmm. looking good, doing the job, getting it done. And it looks cool. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. we can do this. It looks great. Da, da, da. But, you know, I've been in sales for over 10 years. So I've been talking to people for the last decade. And it's like, when you talk, when you have to talk to people or talk and you got people in your face looking at you. And in your case, you know, you got hundreds of thousands of people looking at you. It's yeah. like, I can't look crazy out here. You can't look crazy. And the truth is some days you do look crazy. Right. <laughs> and they tell you, and you know what? It is what it is. It is, that has been the difficult about being on TV to me and not growing up wanting to be on TV because mm -hmm. being a writer very much so no one sees you. So then the value is in your words and in your work. And if someone has a criticism, it is only of your work, right? Because they don't know what you look like. Right. So I, I do get frustrated, I find a lot because I'm all for a show. I'm gonna give you an outfit, I'm gonna give you a look, but when it's time to talk about the story, let's talk about the story. Let's not talk about whether you don't like my hair or don't like my dress. So that part of TV does frustrate me. I understand that it's visual. And so it's very hard. It's nearly impossible for people to separate the two, your work and your look. Right. Well, I think when we talk about, I know for us growing up, most of the news anchors are white. Yeah. You know, that's, so now when you see so many black women and men in the news, it's it's a shock to those older generations who didn't see yes. that. And now they don't feel quite as comfortable with it. Very much And, so. you know, I know you've had recent experience with that and other anchors have as well. Yeah. So 
dealing with that now, do, do you see the transition and how do you look at that when you see the pushback, but you know, you're making an active change? Like, how do you feel about that now? Um, honestly, I feel frustrated <laughs> that it is even a thing, right? Because right. just the other day I said this because I got um, an email about an outfit. Now there are times I wear an outfit and I know, okay, the old people not gonna like this outfit, cool. <laughs> right. right, like I'm gonna get some emails today. Okay. But this day I remember specifically being exhausted. I have a new puppy, I was up pretty late. I woke up, put on the most basic black pants and like polka dot shirt. Right. And we were following some breaking news. So you're checking your email, but the viewer emails we get also come to that email. And so what was so frustrating is I'm trying to get an update on this breaking news and I'm seeing this email, which is a picture of me complaining about my attire and how it's not professional and how I need to dress. It is so frustrating and it is frustrating because it's also not evenly doled out. The women get it a million times more than the men, right? Yeah. Like there's always a comment on our hair or dress or what we look like. Um, and then the black women and black men get it more because the things you mentioned, I think people still aren't used to seeing black people in some spaces, which is insane. It's literally like 2021. And then when you are black and embrace the blackness, hello Afro, right? Yeah. Then it's even more so like, how dare you be in this space and be black and then not even cover up your blackness. You ain't straightening right. it, right? You ain't right. liking it. Naturally you. Yeah, it's just showing up black. I'm like, yeah, it is. So. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do about it. Though. I don't know what you want me to do. It is a constant, it's a constant battle that I hate exists, but there is a little joy in knowing at some point, right? I think people, it will, it will become normal, which is mm -hmm. sad to say, it's not normal to just show up in a professional space as right. a black person with your Afro or your dreads or your kinky hair it's not normal yet, which is bizarre. And so I hope that by doing it, I'm one small piece of a movement that normalizes just being black and professional, not changing any part of that blackness, not to knock anyone who changes any part that does want to change it, but to never feel that you have to, to be professional. Right, the two aren't mutually exclusive. No, they're not. Yeah, so what's the hard part of not being able to respond to these emails or respond to the comments coming on Instagram? I know you Ooh. want to kind of so bad. Rocks, oh, look, because I'm gonna tell you, yes. you're a public figure, yes. you gotta be careful what you say. So, very how much so. is it for you to not respond? Oh, oh, oh harder, 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 harder. Hard. <laughs> As someone who knows me in real life, right? I think anybody who knows me knows me, I'm always having an opinion. Like, what, what, when, when was I ever quiet? Like, how many debates did we have? Like, I'm never the person who's like, I don't really think anything about that. So being in news, that was another part of being a news anchor that I kind of had to accept didn't really fit my personality. I think it's part of the reason I wasn't drawn to being a news anchor or watching the news because news anchors can be quite right robotic. Mm -hmm. They're meant to be very sterile, to sound the same, to look the same, right. to not have any thoughts. Right. Nothing about that is attractive to me. And so I really struggled first getting into the business and being like, who wants to hear from someone who apparently has no bias, no opinions, no thoughts, that's not right. even real, who sounds like no one, who all wear their hair the same. So I do sometimes still struggle with that concept being accepted in this industry because I don't agree with it. No one is unbiased or unopinionated, even in the stories you select, how you read, which facts you put in those stories, all bias, right? 
But there's this pretend thing. So for me, extremely difficult to not say what I think about things. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I do see the value in having spaces where you are merely presented facts. Like I say, though, which facts you present can still be biased. Um, So I do appreciate sharing a story. But honestly, my dream is that one day I will work in a space, whether that's news um, and it has evolved to, or like my 504 entertainment show that I have for several years, where my opinion is not only allowed, but it's accepted and appreciated, even if someone disagrees with it. You know, I like people who appreciate viewpoints. So that is one of the things I don't like about the business. And see, they forget where we are from sometimes. (laughs) I'm just gonna call it like I said. Yes, we are some colorful folk. And I find the viewers appreciate me most because I think I do show a little bit more personality than typically expected of a news person. Absolutely. And I do right. get pushback on that from um, some people in the industry um, and from some viewers who are used to seeing something else. But I think I've accepted, I know what I wanna present myself as and I know what I value. Um, and so I appreciate the viewers who are like, we know that she can sit here and read us the most serious news story right. or interview district attorney, Jason Williams, like right. I did the other day on a serious news story. And five seconds later, she'll be dancing and calling Erica fool. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. there's something to me about not being able to trust a person who tries to pretend that they're serious 24 right. seven. And so that was my distrust initially of news anchors before I got into business. Well, I know that you laugh. I know that there are things you're mad about. I know there's things you care about and don't care about i'd rather know that well now i trust you because i know where you're coming from when you tell me the story and i don't make fun of me i lost a nail i I was supposed to hide it i waved waved it right i was gonna say that somebody real outside of who we see on tv it is true that's that's and you know that that transparency it it allows with my water there you go I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna make sure Marlon send, sends you some alcohol or something for, for the next time because that that just you know I got it. We we need we need better forethought, bro. But it. um, that that transparency is important, especially with having the the more black faces that we have now in the news. Because like you said, I ain't like why you know I didn't like watching the news either. Coming up, you know, my my parents and my grandparents they were sitting they watched it every morning and oh, oh good that one. But now. You know, we got we like I can put my sons because I have two sons. They're eight and nine. Mm-hmm. You know, I got two young black men that it's like, you know, look at these people. They look like you. Mm-hmm. They look like your mom. They look like your cousins, your aunts, your uncles. And yeah. that's an avenue that if you want to pursue, you got people who are real people who you can see and follow the path that they set. Definitely. That makes that part is so important to me before the pandemic. I literally, if I meet a young person and they're interested in this business, and a lot of times they are young black girls because I think they, you know, are like, oh, somebody looks like me. So I feel comfortable right. telling her that I'm interested in this, but I've done it with young white boys, young mm-hmm. white girls, any any young person who's interested. But um, I feel, I do feel compelled to bring them into a piece of the world and show them this is possible. And I'm honest with them about the pros and the cons and the things I like and I don't like. And even if they're like, I wanna be an engineer, but I do wanna see what you do for a day, come spend a day with me, come into this space. So it's not it's not foreign um, right. to you. So often minorities, and like you say, you're exposing your kids to things. 
our areas of exposure sometimes are just a little bit smaller. We don't have a doctor in the family and a lawyer in the family. And a, you can't go hang out with the uncle and the cousin. And, the, and some of us do. But if you don't, I think that's why it's important for all of us to act as a community. So if I have this window of space in, well, then let me let in as many other young people as I can so we all feel welcome. And it's a, a decision of like, oh, well, the news is not for me. Not so much as I feel like I could never do that. Yeah, you can. Right. It's not that inaccessible, you know? Right. Mm. That's what's up. That's brilliant. I love it. But uh, speaking of pros, uh, you've had the uh, opportunity to interview people like Big Faria. Uh, yes. Supercent. <laughs> Yes. Going on. Do you have like a favorite like interview? With, uh, oh, that's so funny. I, you know, I get this question a lot, and that's a hard one. Big Frida is probably my favorite person to interview because I've interviewed Frida so much now that we have like you know a cool relationship. Like I could text Frida, but I remember the first time when I first started my show, The 504, I wanted to do a whole half hour with um, Frida. And it felt like such a long shot. Like I thought Frida don't know who I am, is not gonna wanna do the show and was like game to do a whole half hour. We had the absolute best time. We both are Aquarians. Like we have like the same spirit. So I love Frida. Um, and, and Frida's always like, Sheba, you so crazy. Like, I'm like, what? I'm crazy in this equation. But what's funny is being around Frida, Frida is chill. Like in the music and in the antics and in the videos, Frida's like turnt, but like behind the scenes, he's right. I am like 50 times more turnt. <laughs> so yeah, we have a really good time. I've, I've had some serious interviews with Frida. We've done like Frida's life story. And then we also have gone like fishing together. And oh my God, it, people still come up to me and be like, that's a big fish girl. Cause that's what Frida said in the story. And we used it as a tease over and over. That's a big fish girl. Oh, that's yeah. Hilarious. yeah, so Frida's probably one of my favorites. Um, the most starstruck was probably Tamara Maori. I did I interviewed, yeah. Yes, the cast of The Real years ago. And then I interviewed her on Zoom again recently and each time. So she was exactly what I say I try to be when I meet another young woman, right? Like she, I was like, oh my God, like, I love you. And she was like, sweetheart, you are beautiful. You are wonderful. You could do this one day. And I was just like, oh. she's like, I love your hair. Right. Look at your face. And I was like, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> so I am not a big, which is funny, into celebrities or stuff. Cause I do get to interview some of them sometimes. I'm not starstruck. There's not very many people who I'm like, oh my God, I'm nervous. Tamara Maury, I love, because I grew up watching Sister Sister. So, you all um, did, yeah. Gina from Martin, that was another one that was like, okay. I was freaking out. Everybody in the studio was kind of like, what? And I was like, yo, I've watched every episode of Martin. This is huge. And she walked in and I was like, damn, Gina. <laughs> And she just laughed and laughed. She had the best time with us. So what's been cool is meeting meeting some of those people that I, you know, you I didn't even dream of meeting because I wasn't sitting around dreaming of interviewing people. So that's always very cool. Yeah. And in your interview that you did with the conversation piece, you had mentioned the reason why you stopped 504 show because there's too much on your plate. You're doing news anchor and you're doing that. Do you think there'd be a point in time that maybe down the line that show can come back where they give you more like help? You didn't mention that you know, it was you, the producer, and the camera person. Do you think yes. that maybe they give you maybe four or five extra people to bring the show back? Or how do you feel about the opportunity? 
it, it's never been revisited, but I appreciated it for what it was. Um, everybody thinks that it was like a purposeful opportunity. So part of the reason I don't know that we'll ever revisit is because I should tell the story that it wasn't meant for me. It was created for the news anchor who kind of was meant to be the next like person to take over at the station. And um, I guess things weren't going well on her end and the stations and it was a mutual, they both like that split. Okay, so she leaves. And the news director at the time, Bill Siegel, was very young for a news director. So I think he appreciated that I was young and in the business. Most people at my age wouldn't have even been considered for a promotion. At the time, I guess I was 23 going on 24. And he was like, she's my next news anchor. And she will also take that woman's space hosting this show, The 504, which was meant at the time to be an extension of the morning show. So it was more serious news interviews. Okay. Once I took the position, I was like, we do serious news interview for four and a half hours. How much more could, <laughs> yeah. how much more could you want of that? You gotta so, yeah, you got to do something else. And so when they gave me creative freedom over it, honestly, I had never anchored any show. So it was like, I didn't know what to do. And so I think viewers thought we were producing something and with intention, we were trying to, we didn't know what we were doing. I had one producer and literally we would have these long brainstorming sessions and we had great chemistry and we vibed and Kagan is, you know, still one of my friends to this day, but it was just passion fueling up. We had no idea we do. We would do some episodes and be so embarrassed for it to air, which people don't even know. Cause we were like, that was so bad, but we got to put it on TV tonight. And we would regroup and plan for the next day. And so eventually it evolved into like a hot topics conversation where I'd have three interesting characters, let's say Big Frida and Master P, right? They'd sit on the couch with me and we'd talk about current topics almost through like a New Orleans lens. Yeah. So we had a blast, but that's not what it was. The first, our first idea for the show to show you how much it evolved was we would take a topic and cover it for a half hour. So it would be like HIV night. So you'd have like eight minutes of someone who was living with HIV and then eight minutes with a group that was helping people living with HIV. And it just felt stale. Like it yeah. just, you know, it's one night, it might be fried chicken night. The whole show is fried chicken topics and fried chicken in the kitchen, <laughs> how to make fried chicken, pictures of fried chicken. Like it was, it was rough. And on the calendar, we'd write like, today is red day. We gonna do segments on red. Like we did not know what we were doing. And so, when it came to the five years, I knew then I was being promoted to be Sally Ann's replacement mm -hmm. on the morning news. And the difficulty with only having a small team on the show was I was unlike, so let me give you the difference. On the morning show, we have like five, six producers who write the show. When I come in, it's already written. I read over it, change anything I want to change. I do my live interviews ad-libbed, but like the actual show is written. On the 504, I wrote every single word. And so sometimes at 1 p.m., 2 p.m. the day before the show, I've been at the station since 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. At 2 or 3 p.m., I'm just st starting to write tomorrow's 504. Mm -hmm. But then I also have to prepare for the morning show. It was literally impossible. And I'm not a person to do anything halfway. So I couldn't walk away. I couldn't go home earlier because it, it wasn't right yet. And so I either needed it to be where that was going to be the show I did and we were going to make it a big deal or, you know, I don't want to do things halfway. And so we decided that we weren't going to put more resources into it. The station decided that we were going to, I said, well, then I would prefer to just work on the morning show and make that great. And if an opportunity comes, you know, for me to do my own show or I have an idea in the future, great. 
but it definitely, you know, you don't know back then. I didn't know how hard it would be with just one producer. Wow. Now I would know to ask from the beginning, like we need a full staff or I'm just going to kill myself trying to put something out that will never look like I want it to look. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, we, but listen, some of the best times I've had in TV in life were on that show because having an intimate thing like that and yeah. having control was a rarity. Nobody walks in the business at 24 and can put on TV what they want to put on TV. Yeah. My boss gave me that opportunity, Todd Smith, our general manager and Bill Siegel, our news director at the time, because it was on WUPL, which is our sister station. And right. so it's kind. it was kind of an experiment and like, let's see what we can do to attract viewers. I wouldn't have the same freedom, right? On WWL at an established station. This is how the show goes. This is what you're gonna talk about. This is what you're gonna do. Right. And so I do think that helped with my growth a lot because I got to experiment with a lot of things that I think some people don't get to experiment with till like 40 years into the business. You know what I'm saying? So it definitely helped with my growth. It was a lot of fun. People still ask me about it. People still ask what time I'm coming on tonight. I'm like, that show been off a couple of years. It's done, man. Yeah. But I appreciate that people were watching. So I wanted to ask you, you, you're published now as an author. Yes. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, how one, what, inspired you to say, I want to write a book now. I want to share these things. And then how was that process for you? Okay. So the book came about because I keep returning to not thinking I'd ever be a news anchor and right. also having some like criticism of the industry, which I still have, even though I'm in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think after a few years in, I was like, Ooh, I don't get to say what I want to say. Right. I don't get to write what I want to write. I don't know if this is for me. I wanted to be a writer and maybe I should have gone and been a writer. And I opened up to Sally Ann Roberts, who I was so thankful to have, you know, as my mentor and a person like grooming me to replace her. And I told her, I was like, I want to write, but like, I'm so tired. I'm drink killing myself. You know, my hours in the beginning of this business for like 1am to 7am. And then eventually upgraded to being like 2 a.m. You know, and now I, I wake up at three, but you are just so tired. After a while, I was like, what am I doing? Right? Like, what am I doing? And so Sally was like, no, no, no. What you do is you write a page a day. And I was like, Sally, can't nobody write a book writing a page a day. I'll be done when I'm 70. And she's like, no, you write a page a day. So I tried it out. And so every night I would start a different fiction book because, you know, I dreamed of writing a novel and it just wasn't coming. I was so tired. I didn't feel creative. I was like, it's all bad. Like this worse than anything I wrote when I was in class in college. I'm getting worse, not better. And then one day I gave a speech to a group of young people about my journey. Okay. A lot of the stories I'm telling y'all now. And so one night I was working on the speech and I wrote it out and then there were some things I was forgetting already. So by that time, it had only been a couple of years. And I was like, you know what? What if I wrote this story so I didn't have to keep going around the city telling it? And then that way anybody interested in this or like me not interested in it and thought they would have no interest in it would understand how I came to be here and find something that I never thought would be a good fit for me that was a good fit for me. So that's how I ended up writing the book. It, to this day, is my proudest accomplishment, which I know sounds crazy because the only reason anybody read it was because I was the news anchor at 24, right? But I'm prouder of the book because that was what I always dreamed of myself being an author. It's not the book I dreamed I would write because I dreamed I would write a novel. Um, but like the amount of work it takes to put a book together and to write, especially because I had a full-time job. So, and I can only write at night. 
ain't that crazy? And I'm supposed to go to bed at like 7 p.m. because I wake up at 3 a.m. At the time I was waking up at 2 a.m. So I would write till like midnight, sleep two or three hours and then go to work. I could only write once it got late at night. I did this for like a good half of a year until the book was finished and I was exhausted in the most fulfilling way possible. Even recently, I've struggled with trying to recreate that passion, right? Cause you know, like when you're like, oh, what am I gonna do next? It has to feel like that for me. Like I need to not sleep to get this done. Yeah. Um, and that definitely was the thing I was most passionate about. I believed in it. I really feel like the story could help other people. And then, you know, being the perfectionist I am, I'm so critical of it. I don't ever want to read it again. Cause I feel like once I read it after it was, I was like, oh my God, I don't like this book. <laughs> There's so I could have done so much better. So it is my greatest, it, it, like, that's the thing I'm most proudest of. Cause I don't think people realize it's literally like creating something from nothing. And the process is so exhausting and lonesome because there's times when you're like i'm up at 2 a.m writing is this ever even going to be finished what is it what am i doing right like i didn't have a book deal i didn't have someone waiting on this book i wrote the book and then turned it into a publisher that's not even how it's supposed to go so it very much was a process that like i fueled myself through because i really believed in it so i loved it and um yeah now i'm ready for the next big thing which I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> Ooh, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. I remember people like uh, asking you, like as you're promoting the book, hey, when's your next one going to be? Like they're asking you that question, hey, when's the next book going to come out? Oh my God, Marlon, the book wasn't even out yet, mm -hmm. including my family who had watched. Well, th so this was the other thing. I told no one at the time except my best friend that I was writing a book, not even my parents, because. I understand how people are. When you say I'm writing a book, the next time I see you, what you gonna ask me? How the book coming? Yeah. Sure. I don't, and I know some like really successful people work well under pressure. I actually prefer to not. Like that doesn't do any, like when people be like, I'm fueled by adversity. I'm actually not, now I'm gonna deal well with it if I have to, but I'm not asking for it to make myself work harder. And so the pressure was not attractive. So I told no one so that no one would ever ask me how the book is coming. And it was the best decision I ever made. Once it was done, then I was like, hey, I did this little thing, I wrote a book. And then I gave it to some people to, to check out my family and close friends, but immediately they were like, what's the next book gonna be? And I was like, are you serious? I almost died. This one is still like fresh off the shelf. So yes, I got that immediately. Thankfully it's kind of died down now because now people have forgotten that I even wrote a book. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. That's what's up. So to wrap up the interview, we have, uh, I'm actually some questions. Okay. Fire. No, no thinking. Just answer. Questions, all right. I'm excited. All right. First, first question. Favorite place to get crawfish? I'm allergic. Oh. I got allergic from eating so many of them. So my next question would be shrimp, shrimp creole or crawfish etouffee. So I guess we know you answer me. Oh, yeah, I can't eat. I'm allergic to such most shellfish. You just got to pop a couple Benadryl, some Zyrtec. Yeah. So. I did that. I developed the allergy later in life. I know this is supposed to be the speed round from eating so much of it. So yeah, I'm a diehard. I literally almost died for them. Right. <laughs> All right. Here's snowball. Ooh, like the place or the flavor? Flavor. Oh. Damn, okay, cool. Dolce de Leche Cream from um, Snow Wizard on Magazine. Mm. All right. Daiquiri or hand grenade? A daiquiri. Okay. 
Ice cream or beignets? Beignets. Do you not play spades? N no. Oh, God. you wanted to ask a question. I don't know how to play. Did you guys just take my black card? We did not. We did not. <laughs> okay. Um, Uno or Monopoly? Monopoly. Okay. okay. Favorite author? Ooh, Sarah Broom. Favorite book? The Yellow House by Sarah Broom. The number of books you have read in the last year? Ooh, I actually keep a list. Uh, like last year, like 2020? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like 25. Okay. Best movie of all time? The Wizard of Oz. That's good. And last question. Favorite podcast? <laughs> <Am I? laughs> Day late and a dollar short. Yeah. All right. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I didn't know if it was a trick question. You were going to be like, that's not allowed. No, you could answer any question. No. no. But yeah, I appreciate no, you saying that, though. It's been of nice. Of course. I appreciate that. But uh, Sheba, thank you again for coming to the podcast. It really means a lot to us. Oh, of um, course. You are inspiration. You're a role model. Uh, 2020 taught a lot of things and, and mainly taught me to praise people here and now, give their flowers to them now. So Sheba, give my flowers to you because, Aww. again, you are your beacon. So thank you again for everything. Thanks. I so appreciate that. Thank you guys for having me on. Y'all are doing a great job. So keep up the work. Great Absolutely, we appreciate it. Thank you again. And buy the book, people. Hey, we're gonna, yes. we gonna off air. Yeah, buy the book. Please buy it. Air. Buy it so the next one it. comes out. Yeah, buy it so she can start on the second one. Yeah, so she can good. start on the second one, That's which it. we don't That's even it. know what it is. That's it. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you, once again, we're with Sheba Turk. This is the Daily Dollar Show podcast, and we out. Peace. Yay. And that's another episode. Give us a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Daily Dollar Show Podcast. And listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more.